Hello and welcome back to the Hulkcast. I'm James Rushton and I'm joined once again by Cole Petham at Talk Aston Villa to discuss the latest Aston Villa results. This past week, Villa progressed in the Carabao Cup after beating Wolves, but unfortunately, when it came to league action, they lost against Liverpool on Saturday. Cole, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good yourself, James. All good. Um, I think it was a bit uh, disappointing. It was a bit hard to take yesterday, to be honest. Um. The way the result went, the way Villa defended, uh, I guess our expectations, it just hurt. It hurt a lot at the end. But yeah, we'll, we'll come on. We'll come on to talking about that. We're not joined by Danny again today, but I'm sure he'll be back with us next Sunday to give us his takes. Um, I know he was hammered quite a bit online, but yeah, we'll come on to uh, his Liverpool take later on. Because I think it, it's worth discussing. I think he has a, a, a valid point in his own right. But Cole, the first thing we have to talk about today is Villa's win against Carabao, in the Carabao Cup against Wolves. This was a win that progressed them to the quarterfinal stage against the team they played on Saturday, Liverpool. It, was, it wasn't the best game of football. It was a, a game Villa dominated. Um, there was a lot of chances for Aston Villa, but it was quite a tepid game of football altogether. Wolves fully rotated their side out. It was a lot of young players, um, but there was a few uh, major signings scattered in um, Ruben Vinegar. Uh, is it? Do you say his name like vinegar? Because I've been uh, pulled up on pronunciations I, a few times. I think so. Let's, let's, go, let's go with that. <laughs> Vinagre. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't sound right at all. And uh, Patrick Cutrone, um, he scored, and he's one of my favourite footballers. I used to follow Milan quite a lot and write about them and cover them. And he was the next big thing, and he was quite an explosive striker. So it was it was really hard to see him play at Villa Park, but he scored the goal for Wolves. Um, we scored through. Amor Al Ghazi, a nice ball through from Henry Lansbury. He repeated the act um, to whip in across for Ahmed Al Mohamedi to give Villa the winner. 2 1 result, um, good progression. Um, we didn't have Jack Grealish, of course, because he's not going to play in that game. And he was also injured for this game. Um, but Cole, how do you feel about that result, the 2 1 over Wolves? Very good. And even kind of aside from that, I think there's a good theme for this episode. And I'm not saying we don't need Jack Grealish, um, but it's a good theme in the sense of uh, we did very well. We got a win and a very tough result against Liverpool. Uh, we'll get onto a bit later without him. So that's good to see that even with our best player, we can still perform. Now, getting on to the Wolves results, um, it's kind of funny to think because I, besides the, was it the 2015 FA Cup run we had, I believe it was, 2015-2016 um, one, um, we just haven't done very well in Cups since then. And it's kind of been a written off, obviously, with going down to the championship and stuff like that. That was our focus, as at least that was our excuse. Now, you go into games like this. Now, obviously, the previous round against Brighton, they played a very heavily rotated side, and so did Wolves. And once again, we're the favorites. There are some, of course, like you said, some good names in there. You had John Ruddy, especially in goal, experienced keeper. So you'd think he's going to be leading them in terms of a leadership standpoint. And, of course, your boy Catrone as well, who on his day can be dangerous. We saw that in Italy, of course. Um, no, a very solid result. Uh, we saw a lot from different players that we haven't seen a lot from. I was very impressed with Konza, especially. Uh, I thought Haas, yeah. um, is it Haas or House? I can't. It, I think it is the former, like a Haas. Okay. You know, you know what? Not We're going to get absolutely house. butchered for all these mispronunciations. <laughs> so thank you to everyone who's going to butcher it because every time I d- seem to do something wrong on this podcast, either a meme, a gif, or something gets made of me. So have at it if you will. <laughs> but no, very impressed. Uh, good to see Kaja come back on and around the 50th minute. That was good to see as well. And I, I think one that we have to mention from this game is uh, Henry Lansbury. Very impressed with him. Uh, slick through ball on the first goal there. And uh, with that being said, I, I I think he had one hell of a game. That thought of Henry Lansbury is quite uh, prominent because I believe he's either winning or has won the vote for player of the round. And I know that's <laughs> been affected by the the way Aston Villa fans mobilise the you, you know the the support from Zimbabwe. They will get Zimbabwe Twitter to vote for anything Aston Villa because of you know marvelous McCamble. They'll drag a lot of votes in from Zimbabwe, but you know. He was the player, in my mind, he was the player of the round. And I know the, the vote is engorged by thousands of votes coming from Zimbabwe. That Villa fans have dragged them in to it. But man, he deserves it. He he was the player of the round, in my in my opinion, anyway. And he, you know, he the way he played against Wolves, I get look, he's not Jack Grealish, he's not gonna come in. He's not he's not John McGinn either, but he's Henry Lansbury, and he was a really highly rated footballer at one point, and his career probably hasn't panned out the way the way he hoped it would. He hasn't really had made a major chance at Aston Villa, but 
I think this season, when he's had that chance, he's taken it. He was good against Crew. I guess I guess it's Crew. He was decent against Wolves and uh, against Crystal Palace. Right, he scored in the Premier League, and that goal was taken away. Yeah. So Cole, I think he's I think he's solid. And look, Villa don't disappear without Jack Grealish because Henry Lansbury, a depth player, can come in and provide not all of the same things, but some of the creativity. Oh, absolutely. I think the thing that annoys me the most, and um, I think we talked about it on uh, one of the first episodes in the summer I popped on here, um, and we talked about Lansbury. Does he stay or does he go? Does he have a place in this side? And a lot of people said, no, he should go. But I think people forget this guy came from Arsenal. He was highly touted there at one point, obviously dropped down a division, and we bought him at that point in the championship because we thought he could do a job. Now, a lot of mitigating circumstances happened, injuries, other things, Steve Bruce preferring other players. Um, But I think it shows that in particular to Lansbury's case, we do still have a player on here that, okay, he's not going to be a starter, but he's a good squad player. He's got a lot to offer. And look, he's not going to be starting for Aston Villa because we have McGinn and we have Jack Grealish and we have Conor Harahan, who seems to really raise his standards. And then we've got Douglas Louise you know, probably soon to be Brazilian international and marvellous in the camera. And all of these players are doing incredible things for Aston Villa and keeping their place in the team or fighting for one. And Henry Lansbury, unfortunately, has this short straw. But look, if there's a crisis, Villa lose players. He can step up. I believe he can step up and not to the same level as the players he's replacing because that's not the point of a squad depth player. He'll come in and make sure we tick over. And he showed that a bit against Wolves and he showed it against Crystal Palace. And unfortunately, again, that goal was shook off, whether it was unfair or not. I think we've had that discussion <laughs> at length now. Mm-hmm. But look, he did the bit in the Premier League and I think that's enough to show that we can get by if needs be. And I, again, we'll go on to the Liverpool match without Jack Grealish. We did fine. I think we did all, all right. We'd have done better with him. But I think we did fine without him. But yeah, progression in the Carabao Cup goal. We we drew Wolf, um, Liverpool after beating Wolves. So we drew Liverpool at home. There's This is a tough one. So there needs to be a discussion about this now. Is that Liverpool can't fit in the match in their busy schedule because they fly out to Qatar, to Doha, to play in the FIFA Club World Cup, which they've earned their place in by winning the Champions League last season. Those matches take place just about the same time as this, uh, this next week of fixtures in the League Cup, the Carabao Cup. So it's scheduled to take place on the 16th or 17th of December. On the 18th, they fly out and they've got Premier League games before that. They can't fit it in, Cole. Um, it's being said that it'll be pushed to January the 8th when the semi-finals of the competition are taking place. So it's really distorted version of the League Cup. Um, no decision's been made yet. But what are your thoughts on this situation? Because it is strange. And the Liverpool manager has said that he potentially would forfeit the competition honestly i don't think it's our issue because there there's we can't blame liverpool in the sense of uh they're so good that they're in all these competitions i mean that sucks for them but it's also great for them it's not villa's issue and i think some people would even suggest and i think even forget that some people even would think that they shouldn't be in the competition because didn't they feel the ineligible player in the round before yeah and they played a lot of youth players against Arsenal so I've got a feeling that hang on did they want to get knocked out did they want to lose this did they not want to progress because feeling the ineligible player that is like I want to get kicked out of this tournament (laughs) because you do but they didn't no one kicked them out and they played a weaker team against Arsenal and you expected Arsenal to lose well win sorry and they took it to five, Liverpool took it to 5-5 five, five and went through on penalties. Yeah, I think the issue here is Arsenal can't defend. I think that's the theme this season. <laughs> so I think that's the first theme, um, which I feel bad for their fans. And we won't get into that. But no, with Liverpool, you'd expect in that. It's kind of weird how well this cup's falling for us, James. Think about it. You had Brighton, obviously. They just played a... a a youthful side there really don't know why uh, didn't really have to maybe their depth isn't as great as maybe ours is and maybe that's something we don't realize uh, sometimes and then you look of course against Wolves and their schedule's heavy so they do the same um, and now you have Liverpool which if all goes to plan and it no matter what way it falls they're gonna probably play a youthful side with the odd uh, player here or there that may be in the first uh, 11 there but with that being said, this could be our year to win something. Like, I'm being optimistic because it just feels like every single round is falling into place. How do you feel about it? Cole, my thought is that Aston Villa potentially face a situation where they may be afforded a buy 
into the semi-final where they could be playing, you know, um, Colchester or Oxford in the next round if things go our way. So we could, and this is obviously no disrespect to these teams, we could have had the easiest route, well, the easiest on paper route to the final. That has probably ever been. Has there ever been a, like a team that's actually just kind of bowed out on their own terms? I know there was a situation with Manchester United a while ago, but I'm not too sure it's relevant because that, that was the FA Cup. I think they had an issue with, but I, I'm really unsure. Um, it's quite disconcerting to think, you know, that Villa have got to this stage. The team, the one of the favourites for the cup will just go, or potentially could pull out, or they might be forced to field two teams on the same, you know, in the same time time frame, which is just completely, it's amazing, this situation. Oh, 100%. Because when you look at it, though, and you're mentioning uh, kind of the road we've taken, if any general football fan looked at this and say, if we did win, I'm not going to say we're going to win this cup, but say if we did, and they looked at our journey so far, they'd say, okay, like you look at, uh, uh, you look at Brighton, um, just I'm talking more about the difficult ones. So you look at Brighton and then you look at Wolves and then Liverpool, and you'd probably think, wow, they had a tough run and then they got all the way through those teams, but it's just been so much easier than it really should have been. And I guess the question I want to know from you, James, is, what do you think about this cup? Because a lot of teams, especially the bigger squads, I feel like they kind of take it as a joke, not maybe a joke, but they just don't take it as seriously. And with that being said, is this just the cup that's almost in the way? I guess. Yes. And it pains me to say that because this is a competition that Villa have fairly rich and fairly recent history in. Um, you know, the, the cup wins in the nineties, the two cup wins. I'm getting into the final in the, the 2010s against uh, Manchester United and pushing forward to a, a semi-final against Bradford City. This is the first, that was the furthest we got when we bowed out to Bradford City all those years ago. Um, yeah, it isn't taken seriously at all, but I guess teams think they can field a second string float to the semi-final and take it seriously when the cups, you know, within touching distance. And I guess that's fair enough. Like if you can win with a second stringing, your second string can get you to the position where right now it's time to bring in the first teamers. That's a realistic thing. You're not going to play the first team if your second team can win, Cole. Yeah, the thing I like about cups, especially this one in the FA Cup, is I like seeing the rotation because one, even though uh, you look at teams like Liverpool, they're playing a lot of youngsters. When do 99% of these fan bases even get to either see um, a lot of these squad players that don't make the bench or, of, of course, start in a lot of these youngsters. You may never see them. It's, it's a good opportunity. And even though it's not taken, I guess, with the most embrace by some football fans, which I think is a disappointment in my opinion, it is there to be won. It's something that needs to be taken more seriously. And with that being said, let's go on to the next round. Even if we don't play it, that's a bonus. And uh, yeah, let's win a cup. Yeah, I think what we have to say about it, Cole, is that this is a t- this is a cup that is won quite often by a big club. Look, the last how many? I mean, Swansea won it against Bradford in the in the season that we got knocked out by Bradford in the semi final. That was twenty thirteen. Mm-hmm. Since then, it's been Manchester City, Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, Manchester City, and Manchester City only Sunderland, Southampton, Bradford, Cardiff. Swansea, Birmingham City, and us, I've come close to challenging these top six teams for this trophy. So it is, people say it's a Mickey Mouse Cup, but the big clubs are winning it a lot. Yeah, I, I think that knowing our luck, and I'm not going to be arrogant, but I feel like if we did get to the final, we're just going to play Man City. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, it's just one of those things. Based on history, Cole, that's, that's true. They yeah. get to, they've been to the, to the final a lot in this tournament, you know, they've been to the last two and won the last two. I believe yeah, so. Well, yeah. Well, look at Sunderland though. Like they had that magical run all the way to the, to the final. And I can't remember who they played in the semifinal. I think it was United. Maybe I can't remember exactly, but they had a good run. And then it all just kind of petered out when they got to the final against Man City. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, I'm, I'm just hoping that's not one of those things that happens to us because I think, if we win it or not, I hope either way, if we win it, that's fantastic. If not, we just, we bow out of it in a way that we can be proud of. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about, really, is just competing in this tournament. I think we're going to see a lot more, you know, a more serious lineup against Liverpool because Dean Smith has said, look, this is one of three chances you get to win every season. And we're probably not going to win the Premier League title now because we're so far behind in the title race. And, you know, every team has to go into this tournament, the Premier League thinking, right, good start, we could win it because Leicester did. 
It's yeah. not entirely unreasonable to think that if you have a really good year, you know, you can ride form for a whole season. So every team day one has to go into into the Premier League thinking, as unrealistic as it is, thinking they've got a chance to win it. Villa probably aren't going to win it this season. They're so far behind. They're looking, their aims have been adjusted. You have two more competitions that you want to win if you're not going for the Premier League title. And we're in the quarterfinal of one of them in a favourable situation, Cole. So to end this segment, I'm going to need a match ball from you against Wolves. Oh, that's a tough one. Actually, you know what? No, it's not. I'm going to give it to Henry Lansbury. I think he was a standout player for that. Um, got a good assist. Um, didn't really seem to put a foot wrong in that. Um, I, I was going to go with either him or uh, actually Elmo just for getting the game winner. It's good to see him come back. But no, I'll stick with Lansbury. How about yourself, James? I think I'm just going to go with Al Mohamedi for scoring the winner. Solid performance. Um, captain the team to a routine win. Nothing spectacular, but these games, you know, these cup games, these rotated cup games aren't really kind of the field for spectacular to take place. So Almo gets mine, and I'm pretty sure Danny will chip in at some point over the group chat to provide a match ball for well, who he thought was the best player. Or we actually forgot something now that I think about it, James. Sorry to interrupt. What did we forget? James Chester's on the bench. Yeah, of course. Um, He came back from, you know, how long has he been out of the match day squad? Since January, maybe? Yeah, I think so. And he's straight back in. It's a shame. I, I thought we may have seen him. Yeah, that would have been nice to see. But I, then again, I think he's still pretty far away. Um, I guess he can't be too far away if he's on the substitute bench. But it's good to see. We'll get on to the Liverpool game here in a minute. But quick yes or no. Do you think we'll see him in a, a starting Premier League lineup this year? I think due to how the Christmas period unfolds, the matches would have to place an intensity of the matches. I think one of our defenders is going to come down with an injury yeah, or one of our fullbacks. And we're going to have to maybe move a, a centre-back out wide if it's House who has to move left-back, if Taylor and Tarky go down. There is there is potential. I think I would go yes. I would agree with you there. My whole concern, and I hope his career doesn't end like this, and that's my main concern with him, is that he comes back for, say, like one or two games and he's having a good run and then gets hurt again, and that's it. Because you have to feel if he has another nasty nasty injury like that, he's probably done. Yeah, it's like a knee inflammation, isn't it? So he has to be managed and injected. Yeah. It was quite bad. I remember the article that came out a few days ago on the Athletic and it was saying how, you know, engorged his knee can get and it has to be managed it had to be managed through injections. So yeah, it's an injury he'll have to manage. And I think we said about said it a few times now that it's a dangerous situation for him. And it's something that, you know, yep. Bad luck. It's just now in the hands of luck. You know, one bad match will take his career away from him, which is a sad thing for a player. He was so reliable and superior. You know, before Mings came in in that championship season, we were talking about James Chester all the time. Yeah, like I think um, I can't remember if it was with you or with Danny in the preview midweek, um, but there was that article, and I'll say it again. People are probably tired of me saying this because I probably said it two or three times, but there was an article uh, saying with Dean Smith basically coming out um and promoting how impactful James Chester is and if he gets back on this team he gets the armband back and that's speaking as to how much respect Grealish has to give him that armband back and that's great to see because I do sometimes still think we're missing that extra leader and I think Mings does a great job of that um, at the back as well but um, I do think James Chester is another level of a leader if that makes sense and uh, if he does come back, that's great. And if somehow he comes back to the peak of his powers, that's even better. But uh, I think we can both agree. And if we end the segment here, um, we wish him all the best. And hopefully he comes back better than ever. Well, Danny's match ball in spirit will go to James Chester, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, there you go. <laughs> well, moving on to Liverpool, we drew them in the, uh, the Carabao Cup. But we also played them in the Premier League. It was a game I think we all expected um, Villa to lose. Um, it's the you know the famous mentality monsters, the team that has gone undefeated this season, the team that is claiming the points in the road to the Premier League title. Um, they've got a bit of, I think they've got a bit of breathing room in the table. I'm not too, I'm not too clued upon the um the permutations yet, and it's far too early. But this is a team that will take every game in its hands, uh, ring it by the scruff of its neck, and try and take three points. And they did that to Aston Villa. Villa were holding on to the lead, Cole, for like 87 minutes. And that is an impressively long time to hold off Liverpool. But Liverpool made so many chances. And you're thinking, how have they not scored there? Eventually, they score through uh, Andy Robertson's head. 
across it. And Sadio Mane's cross, as we said in the you know the pre-record, that was on a poached stamp. That was a perfect cross. And there was a lot of criticism yeah. around me, Cole, to the goal we conceded because it, you could see Robertson not touch. He wasn't marked. He ran from the, he walked from the midfield line and he started jogging. They burst into a sprint. He wasn't touched or challenged all the way. But that cross is perfect and stuff like that. I don't think it can be defended because it's just instinct. It's just momentum. There, there's no way, like, unless we have a back line, like a top four back line, maybe they're going to have an opportunity. But I don't even think Liverpool's line would have stopped that back line, I should say. Um, it, it was a inch perfect ball. Like, it, it was on the dime. He couldn't have done any better. And we know players on Liverpool, they're a team of destiny. Like, it, it's it's safe to say they didn't play well against us. And I think even their fans will admit that. They didn't play particularly well against Spurs last week, and they still won. Um, and I'm drawing a blank the week before they didn't play particularly well either. I think it was against Leicester and they still won. They're winning games even when they're not playing well. Um, they have that quality. Um, and I think for, in my opinion, I think they're going to win it this year. Watch that not happen now. I probably jinxed them. So thank you um, <laughs> to a lot of people. They're, they're going to say that probably back to me or they're going to curse me. Um, but you're welcome to Manchester city fans. Cause I'm sure they'll thankful I'm said that. <laughs> um, but uh no, they're just I don't know how to assess this game almost because it's like one thing one way I'm so proud of how well we did because usually we've seen this season how well we do in one half especially the first half and then we just kind of die off as soon as the whistle blows for the second and we held off for so long and it's deflating yes and I I saw your tweets I didn't really see as much of Danny so maybe you can uh you can enlighten me there, but uh, it's one of those. It's hard to take, but you're so proud. So you have to take the bad with the good and move on to Wolves next weekend. Yeah, I think we'll discuss Danny's take um, later on towards the end of this segment. I just want to go. I want to re- go back in time to Villa's first goal because it came out of nowhere and it was a it was a set piece goal, Cole. And this is the first set piece goal I think we've scored in the league all season. And it was Trezeguet who was, you know. Last few matches in the Cup and uh, against Man City, he's worked really hard. He's been covering every blade of grass. Yes, things haven't come off for him. He missed that weird diving header against Manchester City and he hustled and bustled against Wolves midweek. This game, he was trying everything to get into the box and it wasn't always working. But he got the goal and you could see how he meant so much to him. And look... This is a game where Trezeguet, who is a superstar in Egypt, he's, you know, I don't know, he's not on Salah's level. He's not on Mohamed Salah's level. But in Egypt, he's viewed as a complete and utter superstar. He's got he's got a brand and he's, he seems to be a fairly likable personality. Whether that translates to these Egyptian fans, I don't know. But he's a love there. And you could see all the pressure in the world just come off him. He's got the goal. What's the next step now? I think the next step for him, and even before actually I say that, I think it's fair to say he's finally embedding in. Um, it does take some players longer than others to become more comfortable within a new squad, new country, new lifestyle, and everything like that. I think we're starting to finally see the best of him, and I think he's finally starting to click into the system. Um, as, to, as to what is next for him, I think just more consistency, uh, continue with that hunger, uh, nick in with some more goals and assists, and I think we do have a player on our hands here that – I think a lot of people, even myself, I'll admit, wrote off pretty uh, early on just based on reputation, uh, a few poor performances, and that's football. It's a what have you done for me now kind of thing, not what you are known apparently for in other countries. Um, so with that being said, James, what do you think that he, he as a player has to do to kind of move up to the next level? It's just the execution. I think this is a player who he likes to try the tricks. He's got a little bit of cockiness about him, but I think that's far away, outweighed by his humbleness because he looks so surprised when something goes right for him and he almost has to dart into space and kind of recollect himself. But no, it's the execution. This is a player who likes to take shots. He's only scored one goal. He's a player who likes to take players on. He doesn't beat that many players. It's just in those little details. If you can work on you know, beating these players, you can work on his finishing. He'll be a fairly lethal player for Aston Villa. And I like to think he's quite consistent in, you know, yep. he has played at the same level each game. He has tried, he has left it all on the pitch each game. He's not, and this is no critique of Al Ghazi, but Al Ghazi will come in, explode for a game, go away for two, he'll get benched. When he comes back after three or four games, he'll explode for a game and go away. Whereas Trezeguet, I think we've seen, seen the same thing each game, Cole. Yeah, 
I, I think actually a good point that I just thought of, I'll say it's a good point because I said it, why not? Um, mm-hmm. I think the thing that I wanted to bring up, especially about Trezeguet was I think a lot of players are feeling more comfortable with him in his playing style. They know where he's going to go. They know his consistencies and where he's not going to go as well. Um, I think it's just an overall uh, better blend of the team. And we're kind of starting to see uh, what's working, what's not, um, and how our team might play for the rest of the season. And you know what? If we put a shift in like we did yesterday, I have no worries. Uh, Trezgay again, I think it's right now it's his spot to lose, in my opinion, because how do you take him out? Like if Grealish comes out, surely El Ghazi or comes back in, surely El Ghazi comes out. Because even though I thought El Ghazi had a decent game, Trezeguet had an even better one. Um, and it's a small storyline, but we're seeing little battles here for positions, which is really good to see. Yeah, I think with Trezeguet as well, it's a bit of luck. That probably doesn't always go his way. And I think when you're judging a winger, this is an inconsistent position. This is a position that has to do a lot of work. And, you know, you're running at full speed into a brick wall. You have to beat the best defenders in the world to be a winger. Mm-hmm. And unless you're the elite winger, you're not going to do that. It, lots of things are going to go wrong. Your tricks aren't going to go the way they want. Your shots are going to be wild and go wide. And this is just Trezeguet's curse. He's got the winger's curse where you're expected to do a lot. When you, you're not going to beat every player, you're, that's just not going to happen because when you're up front and you make a mistake, you lose the ball. It's not like defense where you let the ball go through your legs and you can pass it back to the keeper. If you're losing the ball up front, there's no one in front of you to pass to. No. And, and it's just a bit of luck isn't going his way in his shots and the things he's doing. And he got a little bit of that against uh, Liverpool, maybe. Yeah, I totally agree there. Um, if we're going to switch to the other wing here, how did you think Al Ghazi played? Because obviously he had a really great opportunity within the first, first like, what, 30 seconds, which most players probably maybe would have put away. Um, and then you saw little bursts of him here and there. But overall, how did you think he played? Okay, enough. Um, not really good, not really bad, but okay enough for it not to be a detriment to the team and not brilliant enough for us to be carving Liverpool apart. I think I do like Al Ghazi because he has this thing where he will just turn the wheels on and he will break free down the wing and, you know, carve out an opportunity to cross in or score on his own. It's just that, that final, and this is what we say about wingers all the time. It's just the end product. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's not always there. It disappears. And again, that's something you say about Adama, something you say about Trezeguet, maybe. It's um, the end product disappears. Um, but I do, you know, it is a thrilling moment when Al Ghazi gets the ball and there's the space in front of him because he will dive di- directly into that. It's just a shame that there's not really maybe anyone in the box who can make use of it. We've only got one striker, so he's usually isolated or double marked. They're usually asked to fall to another winger who's usually far too deep to do anything. So, you know, these things aren't really working in his favor, Cole. Yeah, no, totally. I think, and this can be generalized to any winger as well. Um, the thing with Al Ghazi in particular that I always find um, that it's probably his biggest detriment is that you kind of said it best. I don't think he always knows when to um, turn it on, when to turn the jets on sometimes, because sometimes you think, oh, like, why aren't you? Other times thinking, why are you? Um, sometimes I think it just comes down, especially with wingers and him in particular. I think it's just picking your moments and albeit a few moments he had yesterday were very good. I think of course, and no player is perfect. Um, There's just other areas that uh, I think he does need to improve on. And with that being said, looking at the future perspective, is he one of our starting players? I kind of doubt it in my opinion. I think we'd probably get higher quality, hopefully higher quality if we stay up in the future. Um, But nonetheless, he's a good squad player. Um, I think he does have a future here in some aspects and yeah, let's move on. Yeah, talking of Trezeguet, his goal, 1-0 to Aston Villa in quite surprising circumstances. Did you think he was going to hold on for the entire match? Uh, I kind of thought we would <laughs> win the first half, if that's a win <laughs> in our uh, <laughs> in our minds. I thought holding on for that first 45 is huge against a team like Liverpool because I think most player, people, fans, whatever, um, would admit on either side and things they just weren't putting away easy chances that they had uh, it just wasn't going their way um, most could say and uh, at the break you're thinking okay things can happen but let's see how we start the second half because that's our biggest detriment and that's the best second half I think we've played this season because even though we conceded it too in the dying minutes there's a lot to be proud of there we uh, look at the first game of the season, how far we've come. 3-1 against Spurs, a loss. 
we were gassed by what, like the 60th minute, if not earlier, like it, we were tired. You can see how sharp the fitness is now, how on point certain players are with their um, requirements, where they should be, where the, with their tactics, with their movement, um, with the team unity as a whole. There's a lot of things going our way. And against a team like the potential champions in Liverpool, it, there's a lot to take from this game. And I, I know you were there, so it's a little bit more disheartening. But I, did you think did you think we were going to win? As time grew on and, you know, the chances that Liverpool missed, it seemed like it would be our day because they were getting frustrated. But then you've got, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold just pinging balls across the pitch that I always find in the place. you got Mane cutting in, Salah finding the ball in, Firmino dropping deeper, um, Lallana making chances. It's just, there's only so many chances you can make without scoring, Cole. Like, if you're making these chances, you are going to score. And there's only so many chances you can really defend. I think even the best defensive team in the world, if you if they're not allowed the ball and the other team has possession for, like, thousands and thousands of minutes, that that defensive team is always going to concede. Like it's it's a zero sum game. You can't just defend. If you know it was only time that would have stopped Liverpool. If if the match was two hundred minutes, they would have went on to sc- to score even if we held out for the ninety. Um, but uh, yeah, it's only the ninety that matters, Cole. And uh, we didn't hold out. I really thought we would, as it kept on. And that's, this is the agonising thing because I know they 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 did put the ball into the net through Firmino and it was ro- um, ruled out in the first half. But as time grew on, you really thought, and as you know, as the sun set and the lights are on, you're thinking, right, we can hope now. We can really, really hope for this win. And then it just deflates and it goes in in the second. And then Liverpool aren't content with that. They're not even celebrating their equaliser. They dra- drag the ball back to the centre circle, kick off and score again. And it's just, you, you knew it was happening. You really did know in the back of your mind that it was happening. There's there's nothing Villa could have done more because they, how many chances did they block, man? You know, how many how many times did Liverpool miss, miss kick in front of goal? It just doesn't add up. Oh, 100%. I, I can't remember the instance of play, but it was in the very latter part of the game. And I think they had three shots in a row and they're all blocked. I think it was by like Ming's target and maybe target again. I can't remember exactly, but yes. we put our, well, the players, I shouldn't say weeks. I didn't do anything, but uh, the players put their bodies on the line. They did everything they could. And I kind of wonder because um, kind of going off topic, but casting your minds back to when Man City finally beat United for the for the uh, title, I think it was what, 2012. Um, And uh, you had um, people telling Sir Alex that uh, I guess through the radio or whatever, that Man City or score, blah, blah, blah. So that kind of, that could lead its way onto the pitch that can get in players' mind and the performances. Do you think obviously, because Man City were, I think leading at that point, do you think the Liverpool players got word of that? Because it kind of, if you time it right, it's almost like as soon as Man City scored that second one, Liverpool just turned it on. I mean, there's potential there. We go back to that whole mentality monsters thing because this team, Liverpool, were misfiring. They weren't playing at their best. And then all of a sudden, you know, 85 minutes, they just take it up another notch that Villa can't even see. Like that, that level of performance just isn't available to Aston Villa. It's not. And Liverpool there, bringing their A game again. Then their A-plus game comes out. You know, it's really annoying to go up against these elite teams and feel like you can beat them and absolutely feel like you can hold on an extra five minutes and you can't. It's not realistic because this team knew they were winning, Cole. They really did. Like you could see that on the pitch. I mean, you say they might have heard about the Man City result. They knew they had to win anyway. Yeah. And that came through. Yeah. It was scary. That's, that's true. It's just like, it's so hard to be negative about this result because yeah, we should have at least got a point now that I think about it. And most will say we should have got all three. I feel I, you probably feel the same way about that. Um, on a joking side, that's kind of annoying because when, it, when it was one, one, I'm thinking, well, you know what? It's one, one, it's a point against Liverpool, a very, very excellent side. And you know what? That would, would have meant we would have got the score prediction, right? Both of us. I thought that at the time, I thought at least I've got that a one, one, but I did have a bet on two, one. Liverpool. Oh, it <laughs> so all comes out now. It doesn't that. even tell me this in pre-recording. Yeah, it, was a, it, was, it was only a pound, um, but I won. I haven't even checked what I've won, but I'm pretty sure it's not too much <laughs> because the two-one result was probably the favourite result um, because Villa do score goals and Liverpool score goals, but Liverpool are far superior, and that came through goal. I really think you know it's just that biased fan feeling. You think, right, we've got them here. We're defending. We're doing everything we want. We're clearing our lines. They just they get that chance to score through Robertson. They they score that, and 
they just force it. They force a second goal in through Mane, and it's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, there's not much point even analysing it. It was always coming. Um, but I think a good point to talk about would be this Firmino goal that was ruled out. It was offside. They did a VAR check. The linesman flagged it right, so the goal was disallowed anyway. But they did a VAR check, and I'm thinking, hang on, they're not going to overrule the linesman. They cannot. They they're not going to do that. They're absolutely not going to over, overrule the linesman, and they didn't. Um, of course, when you're in the stadium, mate, you can't see what's going on. So there's kind of like a three-minute pause for a check. Um, I saw the offside decision when I go when I went home, and based on that image, that frame, that single split second, he is offside. But it's it's like his armpit that's offside, and the line is so yeah. twisted, and you don't have all the frames available. But in this split, in this perception of it, he is offside. But there's so many more angles and frames and seconds that can be used. I mean, for instance, Carl, was this, do we know this was the second the ball was played? Or was it the split second it left his foot? I don't, it's I don't even know. The, the good thing I actually saw, I was a Liverpool fan that I follow, uh, bring up in, actually, I just would have saw it um, in real time on TV throughout the replays. The angle that they were using to at least show me, the viewer, were like kind of not, they weren't like dead on like in line with the offside. It was kind of on an angle behind Firmino. So like with that being said, it's gonna look offside in that angle. But if you probably reverse it to the other angle, he might look onside. Like it's this is how sad refereeing is now. They can't even make a decision by themselves because apparently the higher ups there within running VAR don't have any confidence in the people actually managing the game on the pitch, which is sad. The other point I wanted to make there is. I love how they have the offside and then they have, I said this in the pre-recording, they have a little dotted line that's broken up to kind of show, okay, here's the line on the pitch and here's what part of the body's offside. It's almost like they're just making up a line that's a little bit offside to be like, well, that, that proves us right. That's a great call for the referee. And it went our way, which is shocking because VR hasn't went our way all season, basically. Um, it's just another shocking call. And I'm not going to complain about it because in the end it, benefits us goal difference wise which i'll still bang on about uh but james i guess with that being said how did it feel in the stadium disruptive you you don't know what's going on and villa's first goal was var checked the um sadio mane dive was var checked um that offside was var checked and you know everything stood so we had like six seven minutes of pauses just for things to stand uh, it's a disruptive influence. You can't really, you couldn't really celebrate Villa's first goal. Look how much it meant to us. Like, look how much that would have meant to the, the crowd. And you have to wait for a, a, you know, a secondary celebration when the balls return to the, the, the center circle for kickoff. It's it's not a nice feeling. They haven't got it right. It doesn't take time. There's no explanation. The referee doesn't have all the tools available. But he's just told what's right by another referee in a box somewhere. Um, my dad said it was like this guy called Gary in a pub which is his perception of it, just some bloke watching TV going, yeah, it's a foul. No, it's not a foul. And that's the feeling. You, you, you may as well be just like, or like a, that psychic octopus, like choosing things back in, what was it, 2006 World Cup or 2014 World Cup when you had that octopus choosing results. Oh, yeah. I yeah, just, like, it just feels like that. Just some someone somewhere making a decision. It doesn't feel right at all. But this offside thing, is it right? Yeah but the line was bent, <laughs> like it's not even straight. So it feels like someone really didn't want this to be a goal call. Yeah, I think it'd be a much bigger issue if this didn't. This match didn't end up going Liverpool's way. Um, and like, I, I feel for them because we can look at the Palace result in particular and feel hard done by. Um, that would have been a much bigger issue and people are still going to go on about it because it is an issue and there is a lack of consistency. Um. I just wonder what the future of the system is like, how can they improve it? How like, does it belong long-term? It's just, there's a lot of questions and I I think football in particular, it's such a um, historic and uh, timely game that isn't always perceptive to change and nor is a lot of professional sports. Um, So I think that's what a lot of people feel hard done by and kind of uneasy about um maybe newer generations feel a little bit better about it it's hard to say um i don't know do do you think this is something here to stay forever or like where's its place i guess in football history honestly if i was to be really cynical it seems like the premier league are trying to scupper it and just avoid the conversation whereas other leagues seem to be executing the use of var fairly well and we're just flailing so i don't know maybe that's a conspiracy but 
I feel I honestly feel like it hasn't been used in the Premier League at all very well indeed Cole but let's move on um to another controversial event and this is a a, a playing one it's one that happened on a pitch uh, Connor Harahan gets a chance um this this would have been 2-0 to Aston Villa if it went well and um, there's no one in the box really to pass to I mean Trezeguet and Algarzi are breaking in Wesley's far too deep to affect the player or because he helps start it um Harahan he's one-on-one with Allison. Allison closes down this wide angle Harahan doesn't shoot he cuts it back but he cuts it back agonizingly to no one and this was a source of frustration but also did he make the right decision no but I'm going to give credit to that passage of play that got there because that was some great passing and some great movement like that's probably some of the best um one two kind of intrinsical passing we've seen all season like it's kind of hard to say that this is one of our best games considering we lost but it just wasn't that passage of play. It was kind of testament to that. Should he have just shot and seen what happens? It, it's easy to look mm. at it on hindsight and after the match. Um, I, it would probably would have been the best bet to just see what happens. Maybe he saves it. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just goes out for a corner. Um, it, it's easy to say that now. How do you feel about it? So I think in the in the time you're you're agonized, right? You're holding your head in hands, thinking, why didn't he do that? But look, he made the chance. The best thing to do probably would have been to cut it across but you're not saying that if he scores but if he misses when he shoots and misses then you'd be saying why didn't you cut it across yeah I think he was it's a really tough one and Allison closed him down wow he forced Connor to make a decision it was a very tight angle and it would have needed an expert finish and I think Connor rightly thought that there'd be another player ready to pick it up and finish an open goal and no one was there and perhaps Wesley should have been there but going on to Wesley Cole I think he had an all right game. I don't think he were. It, you know, we've been we've been critiquing his effort, um, his impact in games. And look, this was a really hard game for a lone striker to get involved into. And I think there are a little bit of flaws. Look, he wasn't in the box when Harahan cut across when he should have been because that would have been his goal. That's what he did against Arsenal when Grealish did it. I think he had an all right game. I think it was a good platform to move on. Yeah, I think Danny's man crushed him pretty well. Um, I, I think the <laughs> I always have to bring that up. Um, he's not here to defend himself, so maybe that's kind of mean. But anyways, no, I think this is honestly, again, I think this is his best game of the season because even though he scored two against Norwich, the first one was a gimme in that game. The second one, he did well. Um, but to get back to the Liverpool game, it just seemed like he had an extra yard in his step, seemed a lot more hungry. I don't know if someone just kind of got him motivated up for it. Maybe he realized his position's under question and threat. Maybe that's finally getting to him and he realizes um, that he needs to step up. Maybe he's just becoming more comfortable with uh, his new lifestyle and this new uh, playing in the system. Um, there's a lot of different factors I guess we could question. But no, he seemed a lot more comfortable. The hold-up play seemed way better. He just seemed to be in the right place at the right time. And you look at Virgil van Dijk, he actually seemed to have a few struggles with Wesley and you don't see that from Virgil a lot, especially um, when you maybe watch champions league games or whatever here from time to time. Um, no, he did really well. Uh, it's kind of unlucky. It would have been nice to see him bag a goal, but in this game, although you want your strikers to get goals, he was almost kind of used in a weird way as a perfect decoy because there was so much focus on him from the center backs. It left us with so much, so many opportunities and you, Honestly, kind of getting off that point, if you look at if they didn't have Allison, I think we would have had a few more chances because I think I could have could have counted two or three opportunities where um, they well one I knew they passed it back and if Allison wasn't there that could have been an easy tap in for us and there was a few other chances like that where they weren't clicked on and Allison had to rush out of the net. How do you feel about that, James? Maybe, but then I think you look at our team and you think if we had Jack Grealish, maybe because he sucks up so much time out of the game from being fouled and, you know, the tempo he he takes away from the game when he's dribbling, his ball-carrying ability, holding on to the ball, winning possession, keeping possession. I think maybe it's less of a question of, Allison being out and more of a question more of a impact of being of Jack Grealish being out I think Cole I think we miss Jack Grealish but not to the extent mate that we were bad because look John McGinn had a great game as well yeah 
That's really true. Like he had, I, I heard from multiple people. It looked like an audition for Liverpool. He knew that he could be in this Liverpool team, and I can't disagree. He, he had a fantastic game, and look, we didn't miss Jack Grealish that much because players were stepping up. Players like Trezeguet, Al Ghazi, McGinn covered covered. You know the, the entire pitch as he always does. This was not a spectacular game. You know this wasn't out of the ordinary for John McGinn. This is what he does now. This is what we've come to expect. But you know, apart from that, I think. Maybe we would have won with Grealish because he does take a lot of time out of the game. He takes a lot of sting out of the game. But, you know, it's just one of those. It's just going to be up in the air. And maybe, it's maybes and maybes not. I yeah, guess. I think with Grealish as well, it's, uh, there are also, we could look at it the other way as well. If I'm going to be cynical, there could have been a lot more risk with him as well. Because we do see from time to time that he does like to sometimes overplay the ball or take it on his shoulders too much. And that has cost us this season too. Um, so it's easy to look at it that, like now and say that he could have done this or he might have kind of messed this up. Um, but I think the main thing about this game, if we're looking at it in an all-encompassing way, is that there there is a squad that is capable of doing good things without Jack Grealish. Now, I'm not saying we don't need him, but it's it's good to see that for sure, confidence-wise. So I think it begs the question, Cole, heartbreaking loss. 2-1, you know, right at the end. Two goals right at the end. One, basically, a few seconds before the final whistle. Um, we really thought Villa could have held on. Um, we're going into Danny's take now. And his take on this game was... And he, he did get a bit of sick for this. And I think this is just his high opinion of Aston Villa. He thinks Aston Villa are a very good team. Um, he says, I know this was against the Champions League winners, but the context of this defeat is bad. Um, he said, no mental strength at the end. We should have lost in this position. In the context of the game, this was bad. And I find it quite hard to disagree. And I don't think he's been negative there. I think Villa was sapped. But I do look at, on the other hand of this, I do look at the quality of this Aston Villa team. And I think you can't, you know, the quality of this Liverpool team, sorry. And you can't argue with it. Like They are on another level. Yeah. I think the other point he made too is that you, if you look at the other promotion teams, obviously Norwich are struggling right now, but they had a big win over Man City. Apparently, still haven't recovered from that. And then, of course, you look at Sheffield, Sheffield United, and they're easily the best team that's come up in terms of performance so far. Um, I think it begs the question, um, and maybe we can try to answer it: is um, is there is there going to come a point into a head where? We look back and say these points that we didn't pick up, will they cost us and how dearly will they cost us? Because there's been a number of games and every team goes through that. Um, But I guess what I'm trying to say, James, is at what point do we not say it's pure adjustment on a squad perspective and just we're not getting the points we need? I think you look at it like we, we drop a lot of points in the second half. We are not a second half team. It's been picked up on now. It's a pattern. This is a thing. We drop points in the second half. We get beat in the second half. Funny enough, this is a game of 90 minutes, so we can't just perform in the first half and let go in the second half. But look, the teams we've lost to in the second half, I mean, um, Burnley came back into the game. Scratch that one. Look at the other ones. Spurs, um, Manchester City, Arsenal. Arsenal and now, yeah. yeah, Arsenal and now Liverpool. These teams are the good teams. They're the teams you would expect to lose to. So, We've been heavily biased in those first 45 minutes. We're thinking Aston Villa is superior when they're not over 90 minutes. The other team is. Yeah. You know, hold your hands up in the air and say, look, we do lose the battle in the second half, but this is a game of 90 minutes. Like, you cannot just judge the first half. You have to judge the game as a a whole. Going to this Liverpool game, game and a whole, Villa did lead the game, but Liverpool was superior in every aspect. They had so much more about them and they deserved the win. If Villa were to take the win, it's because they got that set-piece goal. These set-piece goals are special for a reason because they can change games like this. They just couldn't hold out long enough. And look, the second half, thing, is it a problem? Yes, but it's been a problem against the best teams in this league and some of the best teams in the world. I'll take it, goal. Just as long as we aren't dropping these points against the teams on equal footing, maybe like Wolves um, next week. Yeah, that's fair. I'll go from some stats here because some people still might feel hard done by, but... This will show how dominant Liverpool was, and in the end, they kind of got what they deserved. Possession, 73-27 to in favor of Liverpool, of course. You look at goal attempts, uh, I think they had 19 off target, 6 on, where we had 3 off target and 2 on. Uh, They had 10 corners, we had 2. The only thing we let in was fouls, 11 to their 8. It's just one of those games where if you're going to nick a goal, you're going to hold on for dear life, and 
although we did have a few opportunities and we couldn't take advantage of them to get that second. Um, it, it's hard. I don't know. It's just, it's so heartbreaking to feel mm-hmm. that we were that close and this is a huge win. And I don't know if you're looking at a, a player's perspective, how does this kind of go to their psyche? I don't know. I think you have to be realistic. Again, you go back to the fact that look at the teams we have lost in these situations too, and they are the good teams. They're the best teams in this league. They're the best teams in the world. So I think you have to be realistic. You have to be honest about himself. You are going to get, you know, nine times out of 10, you are going to get beat by these teams. It doesn't matter when the goals come. Look, if the two goals came when maybe they could have done, you know, Firmino's goal that was ruled offside and maybe a chance later when Salah missed the ball, he was running, that was getting passed to him from Mane. That's two there like that they could have had and it would have made, it would have made no difference to the game. It's just the, the fact that the goals came late on when, you know, the later the as the later the game goes, Cole, the likelihood of an Aston Villa win exponentially increases, and your hope is going up all the time. The, the, as it gets closer to, to ninety minutes, you're thinking, right, there's less time for this team to succeed. It's a game of ninety minutes, as I've said like six times this podcast. I, I, I don't think it, <laughs> the time in the goal hurts more. I don't think it really matters. No, I don't think so either. It's it's essentially it's too bad we didn't hold on and i feel like we've kind of talked about the same thing here like here and there throughout this because there is main themes but uh no it's in my opinion it's one you take on the chin you realized how well you did how close you were and if i was a player in that team my hunger would be even more for the next one because you look at wolves they're not doing too hot themselves so uh i think that's still a game that we can walk into with confidence and uh yeah i'm confident about it so a match ball for Liverpool will take Danny's after the fact, but I want to hear yours, Cole. Your, your the player who impressed you against Liverpool. So I had three that were kind of in mind. I was actually it was mainly midfield. I was thinking uh, McGinn, Nakamba, and of course up top would have been Trezeguet for the goal himself and his work rate. But I think I'm going to give it to Nakamba. I thought he actually had a really good game, uh, coped with a lot of uh, situations where playing against high-quality opposition isn't the most comfortable thing. And I thought he did his part very well. And honestly, there was instances of the game where I thought he just absolutely bossed Firmino. Uh, that's maybe my perspective and something that's wrong, but whatever. Um, if we're going on to yours, James, who's your match ball going to? So firstly, I think we do have to pay a bit of respect to Nakama because it's just, you know, it's a detriment to him that we don't speak about him maybe enough as we should. We don't really, yeah. you know, his name gets chanted out by the whole end. He does get the the, you know, the respect he deserves, but we haven't mentioned him at all in this podcast. And that's because he's a defensive midfielder who does the dirty work. And the dirty work isn't pretty and his tackles don't go noticed, but they are very important because he cuts out a tremendous amount of chances and a lot of the reason Villa succeed in anything is because he's stopping other teams. He's like a, you know, a plug in the sinkhole. He's not letting anything through. And I think, you know, he deserves that match ball. And I think he deserves maybe the man of the match potentially over Trezeguet from an Aston Villa perspective and potentially over John McGinn because he does so, so much for us, Cole. I'm really, I'm really impressed by that signing. And, you know, we didn't play him in the first few games of the season. You know, it was only after the, the international break that he came in against West Ham. And, you know, game by game, he's gotten better and better. The read, He's reading of the situation. He gets caught out a few times with, you know, when he's playing quick passes, but most of the time he's saving Aston Villa. So he definitely deserves your match ball. As for mine, I'm really split. I think Trezeguet could get it, and I certainly think John McGinn could get it. Um, the Camber's definitely the right choice, so you've taken that one away from me because I don't really want to double up because I think a few players deserve it. I'm going to go... I think I have to go with Trezeguet. That's fair. He deserves it, don't he? First fill a goal, a lot of weight off his shoulders um, and certainly room to grow. But I think he's had a good few games now. Not much has gone right for him in the last two. The third one, third time lucky, he gets a set-piece goal and he could have probably made more. He had a really iffy miss kick on a volley. But look, you, you, oh, yeah. if you do the right things, you get away with stuff like that. And I think there was more bad. There was more good than bad. Yeah, he could have done better there. Maybe if he squared it... Uh across there could have been something but again it's hindsight um caused their back line actually a ton of problems i found um and they didn't look too assured with him so that's good to see it's good for um us going forward and no uh two uh well deserved uh match balls for two uh great players 
Absolutely, Cole. So we'll move on to Wolves. We'll do a quick preview because we've spoken about Wolves a lot over the last two weeks with the uh, Carabao Cup game. But this is a different Wolves side we'll be facing. I mean, we might see Patrick Cotrone playing. We might see Ruben Vinegar playing. Um, we probably see Adama Traore in this time. But most certainly, it will be a different Wolves XI to the one we face midweek. We'll be going to Molyneux to play them next week. It's going to be a tough game for us and Villa. It's not going to be at all probably easy, but I think Villa have a lot of momentum here and they've got some sore wounds to lick and uh, move on. They, they've lost their two free hits against the two best teams in the league. Um, so they move on to this, maybe with a desire for a victory, but I'm not too sure it will it will come as easily as some might think. Yeah, um, this is one that's going to be completely different and not so parallel compared to the uh the cup performance like you said full strength squad you would imagine um but it's gonna be interesting as well because i'm pretty sure that they play thursday in the europa league against uh, bratislava um, and then you have us on the sunday so of course that leaves on the friday and the saturday to recuperate and uh, fig- kind of figure out what lineup they're gonna bring um but you have to look at this as the liverpool one too when we were talking earlier about the uh their uh scheduling issues James because Wolves have a tight schedule right now themselves with Europa League and with that being said they're not having the greatest time in the Premier League this season a lot of draws um, a few surprising losses here and there not as many goals um, a little bit from a Wolves perspective I'm sure some of their fans are a little bit concerned even though I imagine you'd have to be enjoying the highs of where you are right now considering where you were like four or five seasons ago um, but with that being said James do you think they're there to be had? Uh, I think Wolves are a team that Villa can beat, but it will have to be a Villa game that it will have to be a Villa team that really, really concentrates and tries hard. It's not, you know, it's not a situation where we can, you know, play good, sit back and concede because we we've done that a lot and yeah. it hasn't really worked for us. This is a team on fairly equal footing. I think Wolves have probably the slightly better squad, and I mean that's me speaking with bias. I think a neutral will probably um, go with Wolves every time. They're they're certainly a fan favourite due to some of the players I've been able to sign. I think Aston Villa. It's going to be, you know, regardless of what happens, I think Jack Grealish needs to come back into this match and he needs to run the show because this is, you know, he's a game changer. And against Wolves, I think both squads fairly balanced. Wolves will probably be a bit tired from that Bratislava match. They could feel they get a result into a really, really solidify their Europa League campaign. They'll be tired. There'll be a bit of rotation. I don't think they'll have full attention to this fill again because the results they're picking up in the league aren't awful. Like a draw against Arsenal. The Newcastle one was probably a slip up, a, a draw against Newcastle, draw against Southampton, but they beat Man City to make up for that and they beat Watford. So, you know, for what they do bad, they make up for it for, with, with the good results. So, hmm, it's a tough one. I think they go in, again, I say they're going on equal footing. You need that game changer to change it. And I think that's Jack Grealish, Cole. I think... Um, to do an early prediction, it's really going to be one of those one-one or two-two games. Yeah, I, th- I, I'm feeling a draw, but I think the biggest key from a Villa perspective, especially, and we saw that against Liverpool. I think against a team like Wolves, who have a game midweek, actually Thursday, so more than midweek. I think you have to start strong on the front foot because you have to think maybe some of those players will still be a little tired, not up to full fitness. Um, and taking that early edge is going to be massive because I think the longer it's nil-nil or it's on equal terms with a team like Wolves, it almost plays into their favor um, where maybe they can kind of nick a goal at the end or something like that. Um, it seems I've only watched a few games of I guess from a Wolves perspective this season um, in my spare time. And a lot of those results seem to be where they're kind of slowly building into the game and then kind of trying to kind of snap the other team's head off at the the last break here and nick the win. But uh, yeah, with that being said, should we do predictions now? Because I feel like we're kind of going in both the same mindset. Yeah, this is, look, Wolves have drawn most of their games this season, seven draws. I think that is that is the most in the Premier League by Two whole games. Watford have drawn five, which is the second closest, and Arsenal have drawn five. Wolves have drawn seven. So their season's pretty much going in that trajectory already of um, being balanced and tying these games um, deservedly or not. And I think Aston Villa will come into this game. They'll be on the back foot slightly because it's at one and two. It's, it's, a, you know, a, it's a game that Wolves fans will believe is a derby. They'll be fired up like they were last time we played them in the championship. And they'll be looking for a good result but so will Aston Villa they're you know facing two losses Wolves have drawn three they dance around in Europa League a bit but it's going to be a draw and I'm really going for a 2-2 2-2 result here well that's a tough one um 
you know what? I'm going to go one all. Uh, not lazy. That's kind of lazy because I feel like all the results are <laughs> one all when I'm looking at them right now. Uh, just because I think it's a good point for either side. Um, our main concern is going to be Jimenez. And why do I feel like this is going to be a game where Adama somehow plays a big part in it? Uh, wouldn't be shocked knowing our luck um, with some former players or players we just generally hate. Um, yeah. Shout out to you, Jay Rodriguez. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, I would say one, one, I think that's a fair result. Uh, you will hopefully hear from Danny at some point and get his perspective, but yeah, I think that's a safe result. As much as we predict a draw though, I think the draw is realistic, which is why I'm predicting it, but I really do think I'm hoping this is a game Villa can win because you look at their goal difference, mate, in the league, Villa is 16th and I think goal difference is a really good, you know, predictor of which teams are going down because look, some teams are getting hammered. Some teams are getting battered game in, game out. And you look at Everton are minus seven on their goal difference. Southampton, I know, is inflated because of the 9-0 loss, but it's still minus 17. Um, Norwich, minus 15. Watford, minus 17. Villa, minus two, which is, that's good. That's yeah. close game. And, you know, we played Liverpool and look, another day they may have hammered us. They may have put six past us again. Um, but I think Villa, they're better than that league position. And I think maybe Wolves are as well, but, I really think Aston Villa will be motivated to win this. Yeah, I've been kind of banging on about goal difference all season, how big that'll be. But you have to think about it from this perspective too, is the only reason we have a, well, you you would think is a, a minus two in the goal difference is because we played Manchester City and Liverpool in our last two games. Before that, I think we were plus two, if I'm correct, um, if not plus one. So with that being said, aside from, you'd say, like your traditional top six, we actually have a pretty decent gold differential, which is going to be key, especially in the dog days of this season. And I think with that being said, if I'm looking at the table now, we're, what, 11 games on 11 points. We're only like four points off of 10th. Like, it's not unrealistic to say we could finish somewhat near the top 10 if we can uh, have a little uh, decent run here in the near future. Yeah, Cole, I think to wrap up the podcast, we've had our three hits now. We've had these two games we knew we'd lose. We've performed fairly well in both of them. We haven't got the result we wanted, but we've performed fairly well, acceptable enough for us to be happy with it. Now we go to Wolves. Uh, a loss would be pretty be destabilising. I think our morale would be pretty bad because, you know, you, you've come off these two games. I know there's context to be taken from it, but you're looking, you've, you've, you've lost your last three going into an international break and then you go against Newcastle and Newcastle really do have that us against the world mentality. No one wants them to win. The papers don't want them to win. The media are against them. The fans don't like them. You know, they, they're going to be wanting to pick up these results. So they come to Villa Park on that Monday. You're looking at a draw against Newcastle. You've lost your last three. I'll beat two of them against um, Liverpool and Man City, but then you've got a, a draw against you know, you've lost against Wolves, you've lost against Wolves, you have a draw against Newcastle, you've got no platform to build on. And these oh, are te- there's two teams you should be beating. Exactly, because actually, like, we have a pretty darn... I mean, no game is easy in the Premier League, I think we can accept that. But just to run through our schedule uh, for the next little bit, you have Wolves and then Newcastle, and then you have to think those are crucial because then we play United and then Chelsea, and those teams are obviously aren't what they used to be. Uh, Chelsea are looking pretty good, um, under Lampard and United are United. So who knows there, but knowing Villa's luck <laughs> probably won't go well. And then you have Leicester and then Sheffield United um, right, kind of right before Christmas. And then, yeah, I'll just kind of wrap that up there. But uh, then it gets a little bit more manageable. There's a tough run there. And at some point you do kind of have to pick up points against these tougher opposition. If you want to label United or Chelsea that right now um, with the state that, some people think they're in because beating the teams in around you is important, but picking up the odd point here or there against some of the bigger sides is just as important in my opinion. Yeah. I think Villa's uh, next month or so leading up into Christmas as it is for all teams will be critical. They need to pick up points against Leicester, I think, and and certainly against Manchester United, uh, possibly against Chelsea and certainly so against Sheffield United. So, you know, this Wolves game really is the last one in a while. I think where a loss is maybe something you can you, you can just take you can take that heat as much as it hurts. Absolutely. The next few games, no matter the opposition, you've got to be picking up a point or more. Like you, you can't just accept after this Wolves game, heading into the Newcastle game after the break, you've got to start picking up these wins. You've got to start picking up points at the very least. So this really, if we're being flexible, 
is the last free hit that I want Villa to have in a while. Yeah, I can see that because I don't want to forecast too far ahead, but this is going to be interesting near the end of this year because we have Southampton, Norwich, and Watford. And those, I believe, are the teams filling the relegation spots right now. And it's crazy to think at that point in the season, that could just be a huge three games for us i'm not i don't want to forecast too far but just looking at the season it's there's games here that we need to pick up points we need to do better and at some point excuses are excuses we need actual points yeah i mean again it's forecasting over a month ahead but by the 28th of december we are really going to know where villa are in this league and Look, I don't think Watford are going to pick up a lot of wins or Southampton or Norwich, but you don't want to be languishing just above them before you face them because then they get a chance to see that little bit of daylight, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. And they've got to be completely shut down by that time and Villa has to be the team that shuts them down. So if they don't, it'll be Villa. Villa likes to fill in that third spot because Newcastle are picking up points. You know, there's, a, there's still a spare slot. Southampton might, Norwich might, Watford are probably done. They look pretty uh, deflated. I think there's still a space there for a team like Villa to go down. And look, I'm not going to be negative. I don't think Villa are getting relegated. But bad luck. Bad luck exists in this league, Cole. Yeah, I, I think my final message on that would honestly be this. No matter what happens this season, and I said this at the start of the season, no matter what happens, I'm proud of this team and where we are. Because a year ago, we were in the championship. And a year ago, we looked brutal. Absolutely brutal. We looked lower mid-table maybe near the relegation zone. And you know what, the summer before that, well, before that season started, I should say, is we didn't know what was going on with the club. We didn't get promoted. And some people thought we were going to go in administration. Like a lot of things were going on. So I think as a collective fan base, let's be happy where we are. Let's enjoy the ride and let's just keep cheering on the villa. Absolutely. I think there's no better way to put it than that. Look, the last time we played Liverpool, we lost 6-0. This time, maybe we could have lost 6-0, but we didn't. We lost 2-1. It looked for the most part of it that we'll hold on to a win. As realistic as that was, or as unrealistic as it was, we were very close to stealing a win against Liverpool, and that is a far better situation than the last time we played them. Cole, you can find him at Talk Aston Villa. You can find Danny, who isn't here today, at Riser Journey. You can find me at Jamie Rushton. And we'll see you next week, hopefully, with Villa picking up that win against Wolves. We'll see you soon and goodbye.